Hey, everyone. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for sharing of God's Word in our worship service. As I still look out here and uh, see a bunch of empty seats, uh, miss you all. And I know that so many of you want to be back. And there may be some of you that want to be back equally as much as I do, but you can't be more. But we're looking at all the different dynamics. And as I wrote in that letter that I addressed to our congregation, it's a day-to-day thing. And that can be put on hold at any time. And with some of the data we're getting, that may be. So you just relax. As we get information, we'll get that out to you. I wish I could get you more and further information than that, but I can't until officials get us some information. But just know whenever that is, we'll be ready and practicing the best safety things that we know how to make sure uh, we are safe for our congregation, for young and old alike, and also that we're good citizens in our community. Thank you for your patience with that. Um, it's, as you can imagine, not the easiest thing in the world, navigating these waters, but God is good. Let me just say again, as I have weekly, thank you for supporting the different ministries here. Your faithfulness is inspiring. God bless you. I was coming across the parking lot these last few days. I've seen several people out there, a couple that I've helped taking groceries out of the back of their car to bring to our food pantry, full bags of groceries. God bless you. The lovely people that come that do need some help are able to get those groceries and During this time we've been shut down, we've helped hundreds of people get connected to food and things for their families during this time. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for staying connected to your Zoom classes and and fellowship. I hear wonderful testimonies about some of the folks in our congregation that have had some real needs that you've stepped to the plate. You haven't even waited to ask. You've just done it, brought things up grassroots and taken care of that. Proud to be your pastor pastor who are the people who are the real deal. What a great thing to see. Thank you. I'm proud of you, church. God bless you. Stay with us. We'll be going, and uh, God's got this whole thing. Sometimes Bubba and Cletus have some wisdom to offer. It seems that uh, Cletus is walking along downtown and sees Bubba there. He notices something really odd. There's a huge bump on the side of Bubba's head. Cletus said, Bubba, how'd you get that big old bump on the side of your head? Bubba said, well, I couldn't quite remember how to throw a boomerang. But eventually, it came back to me. Right? There you go. We're going to see today how some things came back to Joseph's brothers. We've been in this series for months now. We're picking up today. In Genesis 42, verses 14 through 17, word of God tells us in those verses, Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them in custody for three days. Now, let's look at this. 
we see some of the interesting things that can happen over a few days of life. They're put in custody for three days. What are these brothers thinking? Well, we don't have any account of what they were actually thinking when they were in prison. But we can surmise from their time there that they're reflecting back perhaps on their father, knowing what he suffered under the supposed death of Joseph and how he suffered with it. And the fact, the reason that one of their brothers is not even there is because he wouldn't let him go. And I can only imagine they're talking about the fact if our father finds out about this mess, it very well could just kill him. If he knows the mess we're in right now, it could kill him. And so Joseph gives these brothers some time to stew in that, some days of reflection. You will not leave this place until your youngest brother comes here. I can't imagine what they're thinking when they knew Jacob would not release their brother. He wouldn't even let him go. Now Joseph has put something on them where they have to just sweat in that. And they're brought to this place of reflection about their sin against their brother. And we'll see as we continue in this passage in chapter 42 that they're well aware of their guilt because it comes back to them because they haven't confessed, they haven't repented, and they could have undone this a long time ago, and we've talked about that. And so we move on to verse 18 of chapter 42, and we see it says, On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. Now, I don't know about you, and maybe I do know about you, I want someone, when I'm under their authority, to be a person that fears God. You know, a lot of the trouble in our world today is there's a whole lot of people worldwide that do not fear God. But I want to say this. If you have to leave and not hear anything else I say today, if you've turned it off or you're busy eating French toast or something else and miss it, listen carefully. I want you to see this. The only timeless basis for morality is the fear of God. We're living in a day where morality has become very subjective, where things are changing before our eyes that change the definition of all kinds of issues. As believers, here is our compass. The fear of God is the timeless basis for morality. Now, the compass has been thrown out for many, many people. I understand that. They threw it out. But we're going to see here again that Joseph tells them, I fear God. From this comes several different things. First of all, when the brothers hear this, there's a glimmer of hope from these words because they don't know what's going to happen. They have one of the most powerful people in the world accusing them of being spies. They're under his power in custody for these several days. What's going to happen to us? What are they going to do? And furthermore, how does this Egyptian noble know anything about our God? How did that get here? What's going on? And maybe they thought lobsters were growing out of Joseph's ears because it's a bizarre statement. Joseph's brothers by hearing what Joseph said, can be assured of Joseph's fair treatment. 
when someone truly fears God, you can be assured of fair treatment. When someone is power hungry and politically hungry, and they might have thought that about Joseph, then you're not going to get fair treatment. But they're going to receive fair treatment because Joseph names the name of their God. And it gives them some assurance. Once again, the only timeless basis for morality is the fear of God. We're going to be talking about the fear of God. I want to talk about how important it is. You see, without that, without that reverential fear of a divine creator, people run amok. We see it in our world. We understand that. And we see what it means to truly fear God. If you'll bring up that next slide. Thank you. What does it really mean to fear God? Over the years, many people have talked about, well, I don't want to go to church because they talk about hell and try and scare people uh, into heaven and not to go to hell. And they talk about all kinds of fear things. I don't want to go to church. The fear of God has a lot to do with reverencing someone that's a creator. When you begin to think about powerful beings, begin to think about if there is a true and living God, what is he like? If he truly did create the earth and all that I see and all the things that I don't see, if he put things in motion that are insurmountable for my mind to understand, he is to be revered, he's to be feared because he's an awesome God, awesome in every sense, awesome in his love, awesome in his mercy, awesome in his care, but also awesome in his justice. And so what does it mean to fear God? Job 28, 28 says this, and he said to man, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. Wisdom is not book knowledge per se. It may include that in some of the wisdom, but it's the application of book knowledge in the best sense and best biblical sense of the word. Wisdom applies the best principles of God's word to life and puts them into action. And here we get to see what it means. And he said to the man, to fear the Lord, that is wisdom. Because in that, it puts a governor around people's minds and hearts that we just don't answer to our own minds or to people. We answer to the holy and true and living God. And if he created all people and loves all people and died for all people and rose for all people, you better believe that God does not want us messing with his authority. He wants us following his authority. He is to be feared, period. What does it mean to fear God? Psalm 25, 14. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. So I ask you a question. Who do you confide in? Don't answer. It's just in your mind. Don't answer out loud. But who do you confide in? Usually, as I've spoken to people over the years, they confide in in a friend, a true friend. 
They can confide in a true friend. Why? Because they trust the friend. They believe the friend. They know the friend has their best interests in mind. They know the friend is the person that can tell them, look, you got a crumb hanging on the side of your face. Or I hate to tell you this, but something's kind of hanging out of your nose. They'll love you. They'll tell you the truth because they love you and they want you to be, well, as good as you can be. You confide in those people because they're your friend. Don't miss the beauty of this. The Lord confides in those who fear him. The Lord becomes our friend. He confides in them and you will discover things you'd never discover by not trusting him and not fearing him. He confides. There's a friendship that can exist there. It's a beautiful thing. The word of God is telling us something what we can have in our relationship with God. He himself confides in those who fear him. Now note, out of all the things it could say after that, those that have the most knowledge, those that have the most money, whatever. No, in those that fear him, because out of that fear comes obedience. Out of that fear comes the respect that we know there is a God and we are not God, that there's an almighty God that's a creator that has us on a mission through this life as believers. And God offers long-lasting friendships to people who will fear him, and he confides. Many times you're reading the word of God or you're praying through something, you may look and say, wow, I haven't seen that before. God showed me this from his word. God confides in those who fear him according to the word of God, period. What relationship, let me ask you, what relationship could possibly compare to having friendship with God, that God would confide in you. I love that. And God, not hiding it from us, we find it in the word of God. What does it mean to fear God as we continue to examine this at many different levels, not exhaustively, but on different levels? Exodus twenty twenty. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you and keep you from, if you're at home, say it, sinning. Note something here. Do not be afraid because God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you and keep you from sinning. Yeah, sometimes the fear of God can and will do that. What was happening as Moses is addressing the people There is a whole lot that Israel went through, through slavery in Egypt, all the different issues that were taking place there. And what was happening right before this in the verses that are before that, there's thunder and lightning and a smoke cloud around the mountain. And the people are frightened to death. And God had their attention. I can't imagine what it was like. But remember, God appeared to Moses on the mountain, and it's, who knows how powerful this was, and perhaps you've heard uh, thunder crackle before and seen lightning. It was probably some sight that if we were to be able to look on a video one day that would go back in time and show what that was like, it would probably frighten us also. So the people are frightened. They're seeing the power of God as God has revealed his law up on that mountain. 
And it's so powerful, it's so awful that Moses comes back to say to the people, and by the way, the people said, please, Moses, you speak to us. Don't let God speak to us. They'd had, they had been frightened out of their sandals. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. You see, they had a track record of sinning because they lost some of the fear of God along their journey. Even though they saw awesome things that God did, they had lost it. And God said, I'm going to get your attention back again. You want to see some power? Did you forget I parted the sea? Did you forget all the plagues? Did you forget the miraculous ways that I've been with you, my uh, a pillar and fire on your journey? Let me remind you, because I'm going to give you some laws to follow That'll be the best thing you can ever follow in society. And by the way, some places in our nation have taken that religious symbol, the Ten Commandments, off of buildings because we've become too smart for it. We don't need God's laws. We'll make man's laws and we'll legislate and make sure everything is okay. How are we doing? How is it working? You see, you as a believer have God's law written in your heart. And when the fear of God is in your heart, you don't have to worry about the morality of decision. You will make the right decision because God is over you. He's your master. He's your Lord. So God says he's come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. And listen, even subsequent to all this, Israel sinned because they lost the fear of God, because things kind of get back to the mundane, and they settle down. Well, we've got food now. We've got a place now. We're doing okay now. Let's keep status quo. And they did. And they lost their fear of God in the best sense of the word. And they ended up, so many of them, dying in a useless way. What is the fear of God? It exists in so many ways. There's a wrong type of fear that keeps us from using God's power. Listen to this passage. Once again, there's a wrong type of fear that'll keep us from using God's power. In Deuteronomy 1, 29 through 32, then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not listen to them. The Lord, your God, who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. And some of the most tragic words in the word of God. In spite of all of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God. There may come a day that that may have to be on our dollar bill. In spite of it all, you did not trust in the Lord your God. Your educational system got away from even saying that God's creator. People in places that have ecclesiastical positions, in churches, in seminary, taught this really isn't God's word. We've taught a whole generation not to have respect for God's word. We've torn down the barriers of gender, of relationships, of marriage, and everything else. We've thrown out the Ten Commandments, and the Word of God says, in spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God. 
that represented so many things that were right, that helped formulate some of the decisions to get what wasn't right, right, where we fought to make sure we could make things right. But ladies and gentlemen, there will never be perfection on this earth. And even though there won't be, it doesn't prevent us from stopping to seek and make it happen. But we've sown the seeds of what you see right here. We have sown those seeds. We don't trust in God. We trust in a million other things, but not God. We're too smart for him. And we've had a whole generation coming up. If you wonder what's happening to a whole generation, they have been brain dirty through an educational system, through an entertainment system, to not even learn how to think anymore. And so there we are. And it's the cycle of humanity. Lest I sound like I'm talking to a generation now, it happened in Israel, it can happen to any generation. But during my lifetime, I've watched that happen. And I speak to many young people, hear young people, look at the different blogs, look what people are saying. So many have left their thought process at the door and bought to the poison God didn't really create. Wanting to hang on to biblical Christianity, but also say, well, I don't think God really created it. Friend, you can't have it both ways. Wanting to hang on and say, well, maybe choice is a better thing. Friend, you can't have it both ways. Either it's life or it's not life. Friend, you can't have it both ways. Well, we're not going to tell anyone who to love. Really? No, you're not. No one tells anyone who to love, but God tells you who you can marry. You see, we've come to the place that's so politically correct, so unbiblically correct, that that's where we are. You did not trust in the Lord your God in spite of all of it. And I'll tell you what. If God did that to Israel and brought what he brought upon Israel, why do we think in our nation we're any better than that? Why? Because we're not. And judgment will also fall and probably is part of the falling of what's happening taking place. We've taken God out, lost the fear of God because they feared man. That's what this is about. Because they feared man, they didn't get to go into the promised land. They had more fear over being okay with everybody rather than being okay with God. And listen to the leaders that said, no, follow us. We've got the way. We'll show you. Don't follow God. We've got the way. And they followed the ways of the majority Spies that came back. We can't go in and take that land. They looked at the size of the giants in the land and not the size of God. They saw what was expedient for them because it might be hard. Said to our pastors this week in our staff meeting, there's a lot of Christians out there that are cowards. There's a lot of Christians out there that aren't standing up for the word of God, the principles in the word of God, the truth in the word of God, and the creator God, and standing behind him and saying, not arrogantly, but truthfully, here's here's what I believe and here's how I defend that. Glad to talk to you about that. But a lot don't want to. And I'll talk about why fear impedes that. Bring up the next slide. You see... The wrong type of fear doesn't excuse me, doesn't excuse you from doing God's work. There was a great work God was going to have ahead for Solomon, but it was monumental. Is building a temple and assuming the kingship. 
And the word of God tells us in 1 Chronicles 28, 20, David also said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous. Don't what? And do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God, my God is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. That's why David tells Solomon, this thing is so big that it can cause you to be discouraged and afraid. How can we do it? How can we get it done? And David says, don't you dare go there. God is with you just because the task is enormous. And I can't even imagine what it was like to try and build this temple in a day and time where there were enemies of Israel that would seek to destroy that temple, where the resources, even getting those before there was machines to make it, would be crazy. He tells them, until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. Don't be afraid. What's happened? What's happened to the backbone of people who believe in the God of the universe? Who believe that God is their father, that God saved them, that God is the creator? What's happened? See, they need Jesus. If you're looking for the answer to all the problems that are taking place in it, part of it is the responsibility of us to at least deliver the truth of transformational life in Jesus Christ. To be transformed with that. To do and believe what I've said from this pulpit countless times in the 21 years this month that I've been here. I believe the Bible teaches and I believe personally there's one race, the human race. Satan is a divider and he loves to divide. There's so much fear. There's so many issues extant in our world. But we go back to a person like Joseph who received more persecution and ill treatment than perhaps most people I'm aware of. He knows what it's like to be sold as a slave. He knows what it's like to be betrayed, not betrayed by his very family. Lied to, does the right thing, and no good deed goes unpunished, stays away from Potiphar's wife and gets thrown into the king's prison. What an insult. Out of all of that, he's able to look his brothers in the face and said, for I fear God. He never lost the fear of God. That's what kept him from sinning. You see, that's what the word of God says. When you fear God, it does keep you from sinning. And God will test you. He's not going to test you in the best of times, although there's testing there. He'll test you in the hard times. Do you speak up in your class, college student? Are you able to articulate a position, high school student, those people around you? Do you use social media for the good or just to socialize? Those of us in different generations, are you using what's happening in the workplace and your families to stand up? Yeah, sometimes it's uncomfortable, isn't it? And sometimes people won't like that. I'll say this to you. There's a wrong type of fear that's a prison. And I think there's a lot of believers around the world, and I'm making a general statement, so stay with me, that have the wrong kind of fear, and they're in a prison. You see, Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Have we forgotten that? Have we forgotten that? Have we become so neutralized that it's okay just to go through the mundane things of life? Just say, well, I hope they know about that or I'll just be silent. 
I won't be a problem because I'll be silent. Where does God say to be silent? Where does God say to lose a backbone? Where does God say to stand up for his principle and his word? Listen, we stand on God's word. And we don't lose sight of the fact that because he created all people and that he has given us his laws because he's smarter than us. Can anyone here design and make a butterfly or a whale or the trillions of other things God has done? He craved us and knows what is best. We have arrogantly run from the fear of God, calling it old-timey garbage. We don't need to fear God. We need to be free. After all, isn't your God, you believe in a God of love? He is a God of love, but he is a God to be feared. Because when we mess with his principles and we turn them upside down, we end up in a mess in humanity. Look through this book, you'll find the story of humanity because it's true. We find ways to mess things up because of the arrogance of the human heart. And only the true believer has the true message of what true salvation and transformation is all about. Fear in, listen to this, fear imprisons us within ourselves. You don't need bars in front of you, but if I were to do a t-shirt for believers, I'd have to sell something that had bars in front, imprisoned in myself because I fear man more than I fear God. I fear telling the truth. I fear reproach. I fear rejection. I fear I'll be considered intolerant because I believe in one way through Christ. Maybe we should pass them out and look in the community. Do you want one of these? Do you live that way? Do you live in a self-imposed prison? Church, if you're looking to see something helpful in this world, there's not going to be any political system. There's not going to be any new law. There's things we can do, I think, better all around the world and particularly in our nation that we are doing and adjusting looking at. But I'm going to say this to you. If you're depending on that to bring the ultimate answer, you'll never get it. It'll never come. Only Jesus Christ can transform people. It starts with individuals. It starts with revivals in schools, revivals in workplaces, revivals in families. And we've just kind of, like Israel, the manna came day by day, took it for granted. Why do we need God? We don't need to fear God. These other people seem to be doing okay. All the other people are supposed to conquer. They've been doing okay. Why do we need that? Lost the fear of God. And we put ourselves instead in the wrong prison. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? It's rhetorical. The answer is nobody. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And I challenge you. Put something behind that and say, from whom should I be afraid? There may be some things that are causing you the fear to not speak up. I know it exists. Today, I'm just speaking prophetically. Deal with it. Move on from it. If you're ashamed of me and my word, Jesus said, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. There's lots of people that are ashamed of the reproach that comes with Christ. So listen, I'm not telling you to lose that fear so everyone will love you. But when you lose that fear and you just start speaking for God, there may be lots of people, even within your family, that will disown you, that will call you a freak, that will think you're a fanatic. Some of your friends in your schools might think, man, they're just out of it. They're not with it. You stand true to God. Joseph did. Look what happened in his life. 
but you will get some of the reproach. Jesus said, if they did this to me, what will they do to you? If you've not suffered some reproach in your life, it may be something to ask yourself about. Maybe I've not been saying enough. Maybe I've not been a true witness. Maybe I've tried to not rock the boat, sometimes with a good motive, sometimes with a self-serving motive, because we fear what we might lose. We might lose a relationship. We might lose the respectability of the world. Not fearing God, but fearing people. It's a bunch of hogwash, and it's a poor excuse for a Savior that hung for our sins and died in our place and stayed silent like a lamb before the slaughter to do what was right. And we can't even open our mouth for him. Come on! This is serious stuff. But I want to give you some very positive, wonderful news. Faith overcomes fear. Okay? Pastor. Stop it. You stepped on enough toes. Thank God I can turn this thing off. I don't have to worry about leaving a worship center. Please don't. Please stay with it. I want to give you something constructive here. Faith overcomes fear. In John chapter 6, verses 18 through 20, there's a beautiful narrative. It incorporates so many wonderful things that are good for us to see. The word of God says a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. What happens? What is that about? Well, Weather-wise, these storms, I've talked about it before, came on from these high mountains, came down to this place below sea level, and the hot air hitting the cold air made these tremendous storms on the Sea of Galilee. When it says they're out there three, three and a half miles, they're in the middle of the lake. And by the way, it's dark. So here's the picture. It is dark. It's not like you're seeing city lights in the background. It's dark. These waves are coming up. It's an awful sight, right? The waters grew rough. And they became terrified because out on those waters, someone's coming toward them. And Jesus gives the most profoundly wonderful words we could ever think about. But why were they terrified? This is what I want to address with each person here today. They were terrified because they were looking at human eyes, looking at the divine God of the universe. Only through human eyes, not eyes of faith yet. Through human eyes. What is this being? Is this a ghost that's coming at us? Why? Because they didn't expect Jesus to come. In spite of all they've seen, of all the miracles that happened, they didn't expect Jesus to come. They weren't looking for him. They didn't go to prayer initially. Just talks about them being terrified at his sight. See, faith is a dynamic that expects God to help. And maybe that's what we've left at the door. Maybe that's why our witness has gone flat in so many places. 
why so many places have been overtaken by unbelief, by ungodliness, by perverted symbols, by perverted things. Because we go in and we don't expect God to help. So there are the disciples in the middle of this place. What's so crazy ironic, as I said, they're in the middle of the lake. There's no place to go. They can't even run and hide. And ladies and gentlemen, we can't either. We can't run and hide from our responsibility to be a witness and a light in this world. I thank God this church stands for that, stands in the middle of it with all this taking place. But I want us to go to another level. Don't want people secretly to hide out. I can't be in every class and every school, every workplace, and you can't be here. We've all got different gifts and abilities. But Jesus is with you there. Do you expect him to help? You see, faith is a dynamic that expects Jesus to help. And he says to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. Why are you afraid? Don't we believe him? Don't we believe him? Do we expect that he will help? Expectation is a wonderful thing. What's your earliest childhood memory? Do you know? Probably if we were all sitting in here and I went around, people would have all kinds of memories. But I bet a lot like me, one of my earliest memories was around Christmas. And perhaps yours might be too. I'm thinking it was probably around five-ish. And one of the thrilling things as a little boy growing up and thinking about, and that's why I have, by the way, this Christmas mug here in case you wondered. This is not Hallmark Christmas in June or July. I have this here to say this, my earliest recollection, one of them goes back to Christmas time. In fact, a couple of them do. But coming home and knowing, coming home from kindergarten, my mother telling us, Dad, your father's going to bring home the Christmas tree tonight. And so in our brownstone in New York, built around the turn of the last century, around 1900 or so, they had these bay windows. And where it curved out toward the street, my, my brother and I, who were the two older, were waiting by that window. And every car that came down the street was filled with the anticipation, is this dad? We'd be looking out there. We couldn't wait to have that Christmas tree come to the house. We knew what it meant. There'd be lots of baking, decorating, and having the lights go on. Just a fun, wonderful thing, the smell of the, the balsam. It was great. And we'd wait there, the next car coming, that excitement that wells up in your stomach. There's an expectation. Is this dad? Is this dad? Is this dad? And you know what? My dad disappoint us. Eventually, it seemed like 12 days looking out the window. It might have only been an hour, an hour and a half. And we'd see that car roll on down and park in front of our house with this big Christmas tree tied to the roof. Some of you have memories like that. We expected him to come. Do you expect Jesus to help you? Because he will. But you have to fear him first. Anything that comes before that becomes your God or becomes my God. Today, as we come to a close of this message, Joseph says to his brothers, for I fear God. 
that got him really far in life. It was counterintuitive. He wasn't politically correct. He was biblically correct in what he did in Pharaoh, what he did in the caravan, what he did in prison, and what he's doing now with his brothers. Because the fear of God will always lead us and guide us to the truth. It'll stop us from sinning. But when we lose that big roof here and get all these substructures set up, I fear this, I fear that, I've been hurt before, I witnessed, people didn't like it, I told the truth before, my friends ridiculed me. Lose them. If they leave you, they weren't your friend to begin with. But I'll tell you what the world's looking for. They're looking for someone that has some conviction. They're looking for someone that has some backbone and can defend it. So I'm not saying throw out some pat answer. Arm yourself. If you fear God, listen to what God says. Be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asks a reason of the hope that is in you. But do it with meekness and fear. So we're to do that and balance it. But we're to have an answer. Have an answer. I don't know enough yet. When are you going to? Listen, we have to stop the excuse making and get it done until Jesus comes. And ladies and gentlemen, he may not be far away anyway. But regardless, if he's a 10,000 years away, it doesn't negate us from doing something hard because we have fear. It just is an indictment on us. Bow your head to pray if you would while you're at home, just silently. If God has spoken to your heart about what's really important in this world, it starts with an individual, goes to a family, to a church, to a neighborhood, to a community, to a city, to a state, to a nation, to the world. Somebody's got to step in. If you had that said about Joseph, that words I just said, say, how is Joseph going to affect even a neighborhood or a family? Joseph affected the world, and thousands of years later, he's still affecting it, isn't he? Don't believe the lies that mediocrity will put in your brain about what you can do. Believe what God can do through you. Give him the glory due his name. May God bless you for listening today. And I pray God has emboldened you, not arrogantly, but emboldened you to be a witness of transformation for him.